Hey, everyone. We are so excited to interview Jacqueline Lazo, who co-authored the book, Comeback Kids, A Guide to Post-Pandemic Parenting, which, by the way, is a great book. She co-authored it with Frank DiPietro, who is a child and adolescent psychiatrist at the University of Pittsburgh. In this podcast, we go over why this moment is so hard for kids and parents alike. And we speak about how this really is a trauma that we're all experiencing together. And we talk about key steps for parents to take in order to help our kids through this tough time, including how do we talk to our kids and take a beat so that we can really be there for them. We also talk about being kind to ourselves and kind to other folks just to get us through. So I hope it's helpful for you all. It's hard for everyone right now. We're all kind of in it together. And so we're here offering this to you. And I I hope it can give you some solace at this time. Welcome to Podcast Therapist, presented by Virginia Family Therapy. I'm Sarah. I'm Caroline. And I'm Amanda. As three family therapists, we know how hard it is to feel like you're being the parent you want to be while juggling everyone's needs. We specialize in helping families just like you during the long days of multitasking and constant searching for the bar of success. Our podcast mixes expertise, real life advice, and embarrassing stories. Whose embarrassing story? (laughs) Yours. (laughs) Let's walk through this together. Welcome to Podcast Therapists and especially brought to you by Virginia Family Therapy. How was that, Amanda and Caroline? Something a little new. <laughs> I can you can do it time. This is what Sarah practices in the shower, I am sure. I, I have been working on my NPR voice for a number of years, and I'm just so excited to get to use it. I'm glad we've created an outlet for it. Mm-hmm. It's very official, right? It sounds good. I am super excited today because we have quite possibly the most topical topic that we can have. Is that a word? Is that a way to do that? We are going to be talking about how do we help our kids literally in this moment of time around the pandemic. It was considered the post-pandemic, and now we're seeing that it is pandemic 2.0. But we have an expert who has written the book called The Comeback Kids, A Pocket Guide to Post-Pandemic Parenting, Jacqueline Lazo, in the house, on Zoom with us. We're totally excited. Hi, Jackie. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited to have you here. And I'm actually like really impressed with your foresight when you wrote this book, because somehow you have gotten it published the moment that we all need it. So thank you. Oh, thanks. So Jackie is a writer and a mental health advocate for kids, which is amazing. She's not actually a clinician, but she partnered with Frank DiPietro who is a psychiatrist, a child and adolescent psychiatrist from the University of Pittsburgh to write this book. It is the cutest book I've ever seen. It is actually a pocket. It's like a pocket guide. It's got the bullets. Like it's one of those things that I could leave on my bedside table, read one page and be like, I'm done, but still learn a lot, which I fully appreciate where I am in this moment. Wow. Jackie, you. you have written this book for the busy parent, which I love. Yeah, that was our goal, really. I feel like, you know, we're all so busy right now, especially in this 
in this moment of crazy, right? Um, in this moment of everyone going back to school, people trying to figure out the health risks of the Delta variant in schools, how highly contagious it is, just the the real health risks to kids, particularly the kids, and um, and then also the social emotional wellness of their kids if they do decide to keep them home, and then obviously compounded by the stress that we've all been feeling for the past 18 months. I mean, that really does a number. You guys can speak to this better than I can, but that really does a number on your mind and your body and all of the ways that we're used to responding. We're, we know how to respond to stress in smaller doses. And I think as humans, we've developed some pretty good skill sets overall in a generalized way. But when it comes to compounded stress, that has such a real deep impact for us and then for our kids. When you say that we can speak to this, are you referencing the fact that we're clinicians or the fact that we had a trauma episode last uh, podcast where we actually processed our, uh, or a couple of podcasts ago, we actually had a therapy session amongst ourselves. Maybe you listened to that one. Yes. That's it's C of all of the, all of the, or D all of the above. And also that you're, that Sarah, you are a parent mm-hmm. um, okay. and Amanda and that you guys work with families all the time. So, right. Yeah, it is. For sure, a tough moment. Um, even as you were speaking, I could feel myself welling up. I think that, you know, we do so much taking care of other people that for you to even like say that to me about how hard this is, I just felt touched by it. So I appreciate that. But one of the questions I have for you that also I love is the name of your book called The Comeback Kids right? That speaks to me so much. And I'm wondering if you can talk about how you came up with that title and why you chose it. Sure. Well, I want to want to say to you, Amanda, that um, I am, I want to thank you guys for what you do. I mean, you are the ones practicing every day, day in and day out. And I mean that really sincerely. I'm, I am a writer and editor and advocate, but I am not sitting really risking my life every day to be interacting with families and kids during this crucial time. And that is so meaningful. I mean, you could write a hundred books and it wouldn't have the impact of that. So thank you for everything that you do. And in terms of the title, that is a funny story. So the Comeback Kids was not originally the title. I had lots of different options. And the person who is a dear friend of mine who actually did the cover design recommended, she works at UVA Press, and she recommended that I partner with a couple people that we both know, one of whom is a fabulous marketing director over at Silverchair. She's one of my best friends, uh, Stephanie Lovegrove Hansen, and she came up with the title. She gets all the credit. We did a brainstorm, and, and that's what my friend Ceci, who designed the cover, suggested. So it was a really organic community Charlottesville process where we we had a couple people, uh, it was via, via email, nothing fancy. And we just bounced around a bunch of ideas and come back kids was like, as the moment I read that, I was like, that's it. Now we just have to figure out the subtitle. <laughs> I mean, I think it's absolutely true. I think, you know, Sarah, we, and Sarah, Caroline, and I talk about it all the time. We consider ourselves badass parents, right? Because we've made it through the pandemic or at least the first part of it. 
But I think the idea of kids being the comeback kids, you know, they are going to show so much grit and they are going to show so much resilience, hopefully that we expect them to do. And so I think the fact that you are labeling that and calling them that shows so much hope and I appreciate it. Thanks. I think that makes me think too, of the fact that, you know, it is, it's calling them back. It's inviting them in. They're coming back from a very challenging time. We're all kind of coming back and then we're riding this next wave. Right. And so, and they're, they're also, of course, literally coming back to school. Um, So it has, it does have a couple of meanings, but I think that idea of resilience is a great one, Amanda. And I'd be curious to talk to, to you guys about this because you know, kids are so resilient. And that's something that we hear all the time as parents, kids are resilient, you know, in a way, it's almost a throwaway mention in conversations that I have sometimes where it's like, oh, my kids are resilient. I don't, I'm not worried about them. They're going to be fine. And I feel like that's true. And especially Sarah, with your trauma experience, the capital T trauma versus lowercase T trauma. And again, I'm not a clinician, so I can't speak to this, but my sense is, you know, the, the research and the science says that after exposure to a set number of traumas, there is no way, I think it's five, if you experience five childhood traumas or ACEs mm-hmm. that you are a hundred percent likely to have, is that correct, Sarah, to have some sort of mental? Yeah. It'll have some impact long-term. It's five to seven, I think. Yeah. Okay. And I just, uh, to me, I mean, not to, that's not to scare anyone, but I, that was powerful for me. It was like, wow, a hundred percent. And that that's just because we're humans and that's, we can only take so much. And this is a trauma. And for a lot of families, this is a trauma on top of a trauma on top of a trauma for kids who, I mean, I work at Save the Children and we do some work around domestic violence and that has increased greatly in this time. And, and so you have that, you have the isolation, you have so many other coping with loss, family loss. I mean, I, I feel really lucky to have, you know, I, I really want to own the privilege that I have of coming from the place where I sit with my family and that nobody close to me has directly passed away during this time. But there are so many families who are in that situation and the financial stress I could go on and on anyway. So y'all, what Jackie is talking about is, sorry, Sarah, it's a way that clinicians and physicians and and folks look at trauma. It's called the ACEs measure, I guess. It's the adverse childhood experience questionnaire. Basically it's, it's a very brief questionnaire, but it assesses childhood trauma. Yeah. And it's, it's very widely used now. And so I think what Jackie you're alluding to is the idea that kids who have lived through the pandemic have checked the boxes usually of five to seven of those ACEs categories. And so all of them are coming out with, you know, being more at risk for mental health concerns because of the trauma they experienced during that time. Is, is that right? So I think basically the ACEs it's interesting. I think it's that the ACEs questionnaire may have to add something now that we've had COVID actually, because we have this new trauma experience that was not part of anybody's inventory prior to now, actually. And so now kids have actually survived something across the board, like nationally kids are, everybody's survived this, you know, and in as far as, or have experienced it, I should say. And so it, it's kind of, everybody has a smaller large T because of COVID in their, in their childhood now. Mm-hmm. And I think too, to speak to a little bit of what you all are saying, like when we're talking about resilience, 
resilience doesn't mean that your child won't be anxious. It doesn't mean your child won't go through some level of depression. Those actually are, are experiencing mental health symptomology. It doesn't mean that your child isn't resilient. It means your child's really healthy, responding to an unhealthy circumstance. So that in itself can even be resilience to show those symptoms. So I also didn't want parents to think that there's like, the resilience is very black and white. It's not, it's, it's quite gray, right? I mean, I'm sure you found that Jackie doing your research and stuff as well. Absolutely. And thank you for clarifying that, Sarah. I realize now and thinking back how it, how it sounded, but yes. And I, I think it's, there are lots of different factors, but what Sarah said, she put it so beautifully. That's exactly what I was getting at, that it's not that they're checking all these boxes at the same time, but that that is a box in and of itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly. And that it is complicated. And I, again, probably shouldn't go any deeper on it because it's not something I specialize in, but I, it's something I think about a lot. And, and also that resilience isn't a word that, you know, I was just reading something about a resilient reopening and, and there is hope mm-hmm. and there's optimism and I'm all about that. And we really need that right now. And I think that that's, a great space to think in and be in as much as you can be. But as you all were talking about in your recent podcast, there's also rage, there's anger, there's so much sadness, there's fear, you know, and then there are, so there's all the feels, right? All the feelings. And, um, and actually in a conversation the other day, uh, I was leading a discussion and I was asking the, the parents I was talking to, how many of you are feeling anxious fear, you know, fearful or worried about your kids going back to school. And actually only half of the the parents raised their hands, which was interesting. And one of the dads said, you know, I'm actually not nervous for my kids because they're, they seem like they're doing pretty well and we've worked with them a lot. But the fact that everybody's saying that they're nervous and worried makes me worried. So I think that's an Mm -hmm. important point too, is like, Mm -hmm. whatever you're feeling, it's okay. It's okay to not be okay in this moment. It's okay to feel like you are okay in this moment. All of those things are powerful. And we start the book in a place of saying, and just like you did with your, your podcast, you know, parents, this is a time for you to really pause. Like we don't have a lot of time in our days, but just even two, three minutes, like if you, before the kids get up, if you can handle that, I know I get up pretty early. So a few minutes extra sleep is really, I'm all about that. But right before, you know, after you put the kids down or whenever you can, even if you escape to the bathroom or just another room where you can shut the door, go outside and just be alone for a few moments and take a few deep breaths. You know, as simple as that sounds, or maybe cliche as that sounds, there is deep power in that, in my, in my personal opinion, I, I practice mindfulness every day and do, you know, I do a 10 minute meditation. That's all I can seem to fit in. I wish I did more, but that is really centering for me. And that's not for everybody, but that is that idea of being present with your family right now feels really key and critical. And I know that's so hard when we've got, we're just operating on this, like, we've just got to get everything done and hurry. And like the back to school, getting everything, the backpacks ready, the lunch is ready. My daughter has to have special lunch boxes, these bento lunch boxes mm-hmm. for her new school. And, you know, I, I do want to mention, so I have a, a two and a half year old and I feel really lucky in a lot of ways because she was so little when this started that I didn't go through this in the same way that a lot of parents did the first time around. 
I was lucky enough to keep my job. My husband kept his job. We worked from home. We were able to have help in caring for Emma. And so this is kind of my first time around. This is my pandemic 1.0 relative to school. But I did think it was interesting. You guys are talking about how all of those feelings are coming back up for you. And, um, and I'm having a lot of those feelings. So I appreciate that. Did I answer your question? I feel like I may have. (laughs) No, I think what you said was essentially, we have identified now that this is a trauma. I think you know, even when we said this two weeks ago, I think some people were like, is it really a trauma? I don't know. Like, and at least I'm saying it's a little T for sure. Little T trauma. There's a, there's a difference between a big T trauma and a little T trauma. This is for Mm -hmm. sure a little T trauma. And Mm -hmm. we acknowledge it as such. And as adults and as parents, it is our job to calm ourselves and be present in the moment as much as we can and do our work in order to be there for our kids, because they are also experiencing a trauma. And so we do our work first so that we can help our kids through it. Is that right, Sarah? There's our trauma, everybody. And I would also add, like, this is a time, it doesn't matter how old your kid is, truthfully, like I have an older kid. I mean, all of our kids, even when we don't think our kids are listening by the time they're 17, 18. And I'm saying that hypothetically, of course, not experiencing that every day of my life. But they do listen and they do look to us. Sometimes the only thing the kid needs in their house is for the adult to be the adult in the room. When the adults stop being the adults or stop serving their role as the adult, that really is difficult for kids to function through. And it makes it so much harder if there's stress or trauma or anxiety or any of those things. Um, so yes, so parents taking care of themselves in multiple ways, you know, certainly this, we're talking about mental health, but also physical health, like all of it. And it does take time and energy and it, it takes some focus. But like you were saying, Jackie, five minutes, 10 minutes, two minutes, like anything, just even like we've talked about breathing exercises, something to drop your heart rate, something that brings the shrill out of your voice, you know, something that gives whatever, you know, whoever's living in your house with you, that's, you know, under 30, the sense of, of having an adult in the room and, and security with that and safety. And that's this, the more safety our kids feel, the less outside pressure and stress they'll feel. You know, and Sarah, I was just thinking that is so true. And I see it with my daughter. The other day I was asking her, I said, what do you want to do? And she said, play. And I said, what do you want to play? And she said, masks. I was like, oh, masks is a game because we wear our masks. We've been trying to practice wearing our masks. She, she um, is going to wear them in the classroom. And, and so it's a game to her, but at the same time, that really was like, powerful to me because that's what she sees when we go out into the world and trying to explain to her that we're wearing them for a serious reason is, is maybe a little too complex to go into for her age group. But also, I mean, we just, we're really honest. We're like, we don't need to wear them in the car when we're together with our family. But then when we go out of the car, when we go into the grocery store, if we're going somewhere, you know, then we put on our masks or if we're going to school. So and there was something else I was thinking about when you were saying all of that. And I can't remember it right now. So it was actually a genius um, transition to my next question, though, Jackie. So I'll take it, which is I know that a lot of your book is centered around despite us as parents being stressed, which I think you do such a nice job of, of recognizing you also have anticipated the stressors of the kids and what the kids are going to need, which is a ton of conversation from, from us as parents. So can you walk us through kind of maybe 
elementary school and high school levels of what should we be saying to our kids and how should we be talking to them and even why, if you can get into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I did remember the other thing I was going to say, so I'm going to say it before I forget it. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I do with Emma, she's still so little, but a friend of ours gifted us these, this deck of mindful kid cards by this company Mm. called little renegades. And I, um, you know, shameless plug here. I just love this company. Um, and they make these really great cards that are all about like breathe like a mountain or, you know, tap into what it's like to be a flower. And it's really simple things that that sounds kind of funny and silly to say out loud, but it's really, they're so thoughtful. They're so practical. And you can just, Emma just pulls a card and we just sit there and we don't always do, there's one with like fox ears and we just kind of do the little ears. We don't, you can follow along with the cards. You can use them however you'd like, but those are a really fun thing to do, even with a kid as little as two and a half. And along those same lines, I think you know, part of that is just really paying attention to your kids, right? And the presence that we talked about. That's that's number one. Um, and number two, I would say, is listening. Deep listening. We, I know I'm a talker. You probably can't tell. But um, learning to really pause. Take like a beat or two more than you normally would if your kid starts talking to you. Just hold it in for a second. See if you can do that because I think you may find, especially I think with middle schoolers in particular, but you may find that there's a lot they want to say, but they don't necessarily, it's not going to come out all at once. Um, And so if you give them the opportunity to pause, they can really say it and get to the heart of it because it may be that they're feeling angry, but when you actually look at it, it's really sadness or loneliness or whatever it might be. So I think that's key. And with little littles, you know, they don't always have the words to express what they're feeling. I know my daughter, Emma has a speech delay. And so we've done really great work with a wonderful Charlottesville speech therapist, and she's come a long way. And of course there are lots of words she doesn't know. So we talk through feelings and emotions and validating all of them. And also the fact that you can have multiple conflicting emotions. I don't know if I learned that until I was probably in my twenties, that it's normal and okay to have feelings of excitement and high energy, and then also feel really scared and nervous. And a lot of those times I feel like those things coexist in our lives. So recognizing and validating their feelings and really creating a space of safety and security. Cause I think we have none of us have had that, right? We, the world is always uncertain. We know that as adults, but I think a lot of times kids don't necessarily tap into that as much. And over the past 18 months, the world has become a very visibly uncertain place in a real palpable way that kids can see in how we're modeling our behavior, which is another thing Sarah sort of mentioned and alluded to earlier, but that's really important. And so I think recognizing how you're modeling is key to what are you, what kind of behaviors do you have? Kids don't always, you know, we say, do what we say, not what we do. Kids do what we do. Somebody said that the other day and I I don't want to, you know, steal that from my own, but I really think that's a powerful way of thinking about it. They do what they see us do because especially when they're very little, we're their worlds in a lot of ways. And of course in COVID, we are really their world. So just recognizing 
what kind of reaction and impact you're you're having on your kids and also your media intake for sure. And even just having that in the background really does something to your brain. It doesn't allow your brain to turn off in a way that's healthy. So trying to, if you have the radio playing all the time, just trying to give yourself a, a break in between or the TV, just being aware of what your kids of all ages are tuning into, which of course we are. And that's a big discussion people are having, but I think that's key as well. And I think for the, for the very little kids, a key piece of it is they don't, as I understand, the fact of logical thinking, that's not very complex for them at this point. And so they need things in bits and pieces. So it's okay to have a conversation with them and give them bite-sized information or just even start something as simple as, you know, uh, giving them words for what you were noticing. If they're not forthright about how they're feeling. Like I I noticed it looks like you have a frown on your face. Maybe you're feeling a little bit sad or unhappy and, you know, asking a few questions about that, or even suggesting, I wonder if maybe you're feeling that about school and going back to school. And, and I'm feeling some of that too, as a parent relating to them in a way, and then giving them a recommendation, not just unloading on them, but giving them a suggestion that you're using to help you cope. Like I'm going to keep a picture of you that we recently printed out or whatever from doing this fun event that we did and, and, or just even being together that I'm going to keep on my desk. When I drop you off at school, would you like to take a picture like that? And you can look at it throughout the day. And then when I pick you up, we can do something together. What do you guys think about that kind of a, a little way to start a conversation. I actually have something. So that whole time you were saying this, here's what stuck with me is Sarah, Caroline and I, we, we talk about this stuff all the time. Right. And so, and while you were talking, I was like, I need to write these down in bullets because this is exactly what I would like for parents to know. And I think what's kind of cool about you is that you are saying it from a parent perspective. I think when Caroline, Sarah, and I go into it, sometimes we're like giving, it's like drinking from a fire hose. Like we're giving so much psychological advice around each one and you distilled it in what you were saying. And then I was like, well, I need to write this down. But ultimately it's, it's written down in the book, right? Like I'm not trying to sell your book, yeah. but I really, I was like, Oh, like it's right here for me. <laughs> it was, it was pretty like, it's exactly right. And I, I love that you were saying it from a non-clinical lens, but from a parental lens. Mm-hmm. Is that what you thought too, Sarah? Yeah. I mean, I was sitting here thinking, God, I wish I could talk like Jackie. But I think, yes, I mean, the the part that especially the way you think about the age groups and you describe that exactly right. And and again, you know, we we talk as clinicians a lot, but also we talk amongst ourselves as friends a lot when we can have five seconds to ourselves in the office. And, you know, we're constantly kind of saying, I'll, I'll come in tired because I'm a teenager. And the only time I she wants to talk to me is after 1130 at night or 11 o'clock at night. But I need to be available then if I'm not making much sense at 11 o'clock at night myself, but, but it's like things like that. You're saying it's like timing for the older teens. It's different, slightly different for the middle schoolers. It's different for the little ones. And it is really important for parents to recognize that and not feel frustrated. um, When, you know, when they feel like they're not connecting, they're connecting way more than they think they are. Absolutely. It's every little piece of it that goes, that's sort of a guiding principle. So my, I cannot take credit for a lot of the language in the book. It's really 
I feel like I was a translator because I'm not a mental health expert. It was so important and critical for me to partner with my co-author, the wonderful, I wish he could be here with us right now, the wonderful Dr. Frank DiPietro. He is phenomenal. And the way that he talks is just so heartwarming. And I, I found it so reassuring. And he actually pointed out while I was writing this book that I was probably going through a lot of these aspects mm-hmm. and thinking through this. And so, cause I kept saying, Frank, you know, it feels like it's taken me a little longer than it should to get this out. And he's like, I think it's cause you're experiencing it as you're writing it, which I think happens to a lot of writers part of the process. But for me, I feel like I was a translator and I tried to really capture Frank's voice. So I hope I'm, I'm sure I'm not totally doing him justice, but he is a, a phenomenal, phenomenal father of four and, um, and clinician. And I think, you know, to me, he deals with patients day in and day out. And so much of what he says is so powerful. And the reason I decided to partner with him is not only because he's a, a fabulous clinician, but also because he does have such a way about him of speaking in a really clear, friendly manner that feels like you're having a conversation, which is what we wanted this book to be. When I started this process um, back in April of 2020, it's all a blur, right? But back then I had a conversation with, and I don't mean to derail us. I want to come back to what you're saying, Sarah, but I had a conversation with a former colleague about her daughter who was really showing some, some concerning signs of struggling at the very early stages in the pandemic. And she was like, I just, she's very smart, very savvy, knows how to find resources. And she was like, I don't even know what to look for. I don't know where to begin. I don't know if these warning signs are actually warning signs, like what's normal. Um, And now what's normal? I really don't know because it's the beginning of this huge unknown. I don't know, should I be reaching out? And of course, I mean, a big piece of this book is like, when in doubt, reach out. That is absolutely key to me. That is huge. Frank has that was a huge echo throughout the book, a big guiding principle. This idea that no matter what, whatever your question is, it's not too small. I mean, Frank usually says, if you're worried about it, we as mental health experts want to know. Because if it's not something to worry about, we'll tell you. But if it is, we want you to ask. And so I think that that's really poignant that people can reach out and ask and and have that kind of connection. And that there are lots of resources, even if you don't have insurance there are lots of ways you can access free care. And so uh, we have a whole section in the book that's additional resources that references, how do you go about that? Who do you ask to speak to? If it's an emergency versus a non-emergency scenario. So just really practical tips, which is what we wanted this book to be. By parents, for parents, these are the tips we feel like you need at your fingertips right now. Use it as you see best because you're, you know your family best, you know your kids best and you know yourself best. And so. If you dog ear one page and come back to it, great. If you, like Amanda mentioned at the beginning, if you have time to read one page and you get something from it, that's a win in my book. And I'm starting to actually have more discussions with through PTAs with parents and just associations because I've found what you're saying is really is true. It's nice to have the the parent perspective of just kind of in lay woman's terms or lay people's terms, um, getting at really, what is it that we're feeling? And um, I certainly have a lot to learn still, but I I love talking about this stuff, as you can tell. And when it comes to more specifics with the teenagers, 
a friend of mine mentioned this, Sarah, and I like it. It's she has a thing called deal with her family, which is drop everything and listen. Simple enough, but basically at any moment, anyone can play the deal card. Um, And that may be you actually voice it or you just do it and think it in your head. But the idea is if it's reasonable and safe, probably not while you're driving on a highway, but if you can stop and drop everything that you're doing and when I said stop, drop, I thought of and roll. Don't roll. Um, (laughs) You can roll if that helps, but um, no, just drop everything and really listen. If your kid is a little kid and they want to talk, get on eye level with them, make sure you make eye contact as much as you can and really show them that's going to help them feel more safe and secure and that you're there to listen. That at any moment, if they have a question, you are there and you're available, which is so important for kids, especially at these times. And I think that that really helps with the little kids too. Like if you give them a little bite-sized piece of information, they may want to go and play and do something else for a little bit. And then they'll come back once they've had a chance to process it, or it may just appear randomly. You may be having dinner and they'll say a word or something that references that. Mm -hmm. And then you can talk a little bit more about it. But the key is, I think with any of the ages, like you were saying, Sarah, if kids want to talk in the middle of the night, if that's when your teenagers want to talk, you're lucky that they want to talk to you is kind Mm -hmm. of what I've heard from. I don't have a teenager personally, but I'm sure I'll get to that point. I feel like it's an opportunity. And so if you can figure out a way to communicate with them, then, and then maybe like slyly put in a little, I love that we're talking about this. And I would love to keep talking about this. If you're into it, do you think maybe we could try for like half an hour earlier tomorrow night, or maybe not even set a time frame? but like, can we, can we chat about this at dinner tomorrow? Or, you know, maybe we can even just have dinner, you and me and your siblings can go hang out with your, your partner or, you know, go play in the yard or whatever the case might be so that you can do a little one-on-one and really to ask kids, especially middle schoolers, there's so much false information out there everywhere online in person. What do they know? So you have a place to start from, and that can be a friendly way to start a conversation. Like, Hey, you know, I'm kind of trying to figure out this is so this, this world is changing so much and everything feels like you know, things are, are changing quickly, even with school and, and what you're, what we're doing with that. And I just wonder if you're feeling like that too, or maybe your friends are talking to you about that, or what have you heard about this? That's a way to say, Hey, what are you thinking? What are you feeling without saying, so tell me how you feel, which I know as much as we'd like, doesn't always work with kids. So I love that you're bringing the, I mean, the way you're explaining this is so, so important. And I love the deal. I love that acronym. That's awesome. And I think sometimes what I say to parents is like, drop your toolkit, like drop your tool belt. You don't need to solve this for this kid. You need to just listen. Um, and, and I love that you're talking about dosage, right? Like when we talk about, when we have children, one of the things as a parent, you look at all the time, if you have to give medication is the dosage that you're giving, right? It's vital that you pay attention to that. It's vital. You don't give too much or too little. So the same is true when we talk to our kids, I think. And that's kind of what I'm hearing you say, like dose, how much you share back or talk back because kids glaze over very quickly. Some, I mean, the first time when you have young kids, the first time they ask about sex, your brain goes to let me describe to you, I'm ready, right? Like I'm going to tell, and they really don't, they just have the simplest question and you answer it. And then they go back to whatever they're doing and you realize, Oh, I didn't need to give you that much information. The same is true with this. It's, it's really, it's about dosage. It's about how much we're 
it's not that we need to dumb down anything, but like pay attention to what they're asking or what they're curious about or what they're saying in order to respond back instead of launching into lecture series, which is a very quick way to lose your kid's attention. And then the other thing I love that you mentioned is false information. So one of the things I want to just bring up with this is when we have middle schooler and high schoolers, our kids are finally becoming very empowered with things that they have opinions about and thoughts about and their own sense of self, and they're starting to individuate. And so a lot of times this whole false information can really fuel an opinion that feels very different from your own or real that you might even really struggle with hearing your kids say. And I think one of the things that's really important to that is I love that you're like, ask questions, because if you come back at that opinion and try to change that opinion, you're going to hit a wall and you're going to lose that connection with your kid. But if you ask like, well, tell me more about that. Like, tell me, tell me where you heard that. Where, wow. Like, so what do you really think about what you're saying about like, that's such great suggestion. I love that you said that. Sorry, I'll stop talking now. But I'm so excited. I oh thanks. I I completely and I'm excited too. I feel like that really speaks to this idea too of recognizing your biases. So I we mentioned that in the book as something to just tune into. Obviously, that's I feel like on on a lot of our minds, but when you're talking to your kids, recognizing that there's always another side of the story, that they have a very valuable they're a thinking, breathing human, and they may be young. They may not have a PhD. They may not have a higher education or all the life experience that we do, but they have a lot of smarts and they're really genuine a lot of times and honest if they feel like they're in a safe space. And so really recognizing that they have valuable information to share with you. I mean, we started this process with a short questionnaire, five questions that, that we shared with families. And then we went out to, we asked those families to share with other families. And then beyond that, it was like to community organizations. And we just kept trying to build some momentum around asking families if they could just check in with their kids with this survey. And the survey is included, the survey results are included in the back of the book. And you know the survey is really pretty basic, but a lot of it focuses on who were the helpers that you noticed during the pandemic. So we did the survey from April, 2020 to October, 2020. Who were the helpers you noticed or how are you helping in your community? Because those ideas like kindness is something that kids at any age can relate to. And everyone can relate to really. An act of kindness is something small or it can be something very substantial and it has a lot of meaning. And focusing on ways that you can be kind, especially in this moment when there is so much hot energy around everything. And we all feel it um, taking the time. And it just takes a second to pause and really try and be kind. That may seem really basic, but I think it's an important place for us to be. And so if your kid comes and says, well, Hey, Tommy said, I don't need to wear a mask because you know it's not dangerous or whatever the case might be. There is always another perspective. It's worth having a conversation. And sometimes there are going to be questions your kids ask feel like I already have this with my two and a half year old that I don't know the answers to. And I, mm-hmm. as a parent, sometimes you're like, I'm a capital P parent. I need to know the answers and have them. And maybe you guys feel like that even more as clinicians. I don't know, but there's so much information all the time. We don't need to take it all in. We need to dose it ourselves for ourselves. And then also it's okay to say, you know what? I, if they're, if they're middle, later middle school, high school, like 
you know what? I actually don't know the answer to that. Like, let's look into that. Or do you want to look into that? And I'll look into it. And then we can come and talk about it a little bit later. Just something simple where it's like, Hey, you know what? I don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other perspectives. Maybe we can think through what that looks like. And that's a life skill that you're building right there for them. That can be really helpful. And I liked what you just said about being kind, because I think as a parent, it's important to remember to teach our kids to be kind and to be kind to our kids, which actually is sometimes, you know, harder to do than we think. And, but also being kind to ourselves, right? Because in that moment, we're going to make mistakes. We're all having a hard time. And if we can be kind and loving with ourselves, we're also modeling that kindness and lovingness for our kids. And I always say mistakes are for learning and, and reminding everybody that, you know, that this is kind. And I think that that's important because we're all going to make a ton of mistakes right now. We're in a whole new world. We're all struggling with the after effects and the current effects of so many changes. And we do need to remember to be kind. So y'all, this is a great book. I keep on every little nugget is genuine gold. There's no fluff in this book. Like I hate to, like, I'm just going to be honest. There's no, like, this is not a book that you're good at, that you're going to look at and be like, Oh, the author said the same thing 10 times. And they're just trying to make the book look longer. You know, you're not going to waste a breath. If you get this book, everything is easily digestible and important and helpful. So thank you so much for coming and talking to us about this. How can people find you and find the book? And by the way, just again, the book is called The Comeback Kids, A Pocket Guide to Post-Pandemic Parenting by Jacqueline Lazo and Frank DiPietro. But how can people find it and find you and all of that stuff, Jackie? Thanks so much for asking. And thanks for, for all those wonderful words. So Comeback Kids is available. There's We have a website called comeback-kids.com. And we're on Instagram, Facebook. We would love it if you joined us in the conversation there. I recently had an uh, Instagram live last week, so you can check that out. And you can also email me if you want. It goes to me or to the one other person who's helping me on this project. Info at comeback-kids.com. That dash is important. And you can find it on Amazon. So that is currently where we're selling it through. And that you can just look up Comeback Kids and then my name, even just my last name, Lazo, L-A-Z-O. Or you can use my co-author's last name, DePietro, D-E-P-I-E-T-R-O, and find it that way. We look forward to having conversations in the future. Thank you so much for coming. And if you listen to this and you like this podcast, you can subscribe to Podcast Therapist. Or if you want to hear more about what we are doing, you can just go to www.virginiafamilytherapy.com. We're so happy you're in Virginia, Jackie. Oh, I'm so happy you guys are. It's just so wonderful to connect with you. And thank you again for everything that you do. We're Oh, thank you. That's, guys, this is so nice. Like, it's really nice. Um, I know, Jackie, okay. thanks. I know. Good luck, everybody out there. Thank you so much for listening. Good luck. Take Thank care. You. Stay well. Bye.